65 Power 5 programs, right? So exactly half of all FBS teams, including Notre Dame. So 64 Power 5 teams in conferences, and 41 of those 64 teams have played in a conference championship. And this is something that I tweeted the other day at adowdy88 if you're not following me. 23 Power 5 teams have never played in a conference championship game, and the one that sticks out, and this is the one that prompted the most reactions, is Michigan. So here's the question for you. Of those 23, check out the list, again, at adowdy88 on Twitter. Of those 23, does Michigan have the best shot at making their first ever conference championship in 2019? I'm curious your thoughts. At High Motor Pod or at adowdy88, who of those 23 teams has the best chance of making the first ever conference championship game in 2019. This is the 2019 College Football Predictions episode of the High Motor Podcast and Stephen Lassen of Athlon Sports. He was kind enough to chat and run through 22 predictions questions. Coaching, Group of Five, uh, Heisman, Dark Horses, transfers, so many good ones in there. So thank you for dropping by the High Motor Podcast. Always great to have everyone checking out the show. Let's get it fired up. Steven Lassen on the High Motor Podcast for some college football predictions for the 2019 college football season coming up here. And Steven, let's uh, let's jump right in here. I sent you 20 questions ahead of time, but I want to start with a couple of mailbag ones. You can send uh, those all the time on Twitter, at High Motor Pod. I usually will preview the guest ahead of time. Always send mailbag questions there. And uh, Steven, the first one's from Philip Slavin. He's from Land Grant uh, Gauntlet. He's also the host of the 1012 Podcast, for those of you who haven't checked that out. Give that a listen. And he is asking us, which Big 12 quarterback has the more disappointing season? Brock Purdy, Jalen Hurts, Sam Ellinger. Who do you got out of that three? It's a tough question because, you know, I really like all three quarterbacks. Um, I You know, I would rank Sam Ellinger and Jalen Hurts probably in the top 10 of quarterbacks nationally this season. But I, I would probably go with Brock Purdy uh, only because Iowa State loses Hakeem Butler. They also have to replace David Montgomery a few more questions on that offense. You know, for Oklahoma, no question about the skill talent. Texas, a lot of what Texas Big 12 title hopes, playoff hopes, really rest on Sam Ellinger. So I, I like Brock Purdy long-term upside, but because of those losses around him, uh, he might be one that maybe doesn't reach all Big 12 uh, honors at the end of the year. I have almost the exact same opinion. I put Jalen Hurts as my Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year in my media bout uh, this year, and that doesn't mean I'm not high on Sam Ellinger. I mean, it's like 1 and 1A, also really high on Brock Purdy. Same reasons you mentioned. I do worry about that offensive line. I know they finally have some experience coming back. I'm curious how they tailor that offense. Maybe they don't go downfield as much. They try to kind of match uh, Purdy's mid-game range there. But, yeah, I would probably say Brock Purdy, but... Um, you know, I don't even think it's going to be that disappointing this season. Really high in Iowa State this year. Love their chances of getting a 9 or 10 win. So Brock Purdy but by just by a nose. Like a second one here. This is from your boss over at Athlon Sports, Mitch Light. And this is a good one for you. I laughed when he said this one. If you could have one guy to coach a game with his life on the line, would it be Chris Creighton, old school Gary Anderson, this is before he went to Wisconsin, or Dr. Fitz Hill? And I couldn't even remember which group of five West Coast school that Hill went to after all those assistant years at Arkansas. So that's Fitz Hill of San Jose State, which I'm sure you know. So Stephen, Chris Creighton, pre-Wisconsin Gary Anderson, or Fitz Hill coaching a game with the life on the line? This is a great question. Um, I, I would go with Chris Creighton from Eastern Michigan, largely because, I mean, 
you know, he's led Eastern Michigan to two bowl games in the last three years. And I think if you need to get the most out of a roster in a one game scenario, I would take Chris Creighton. Um, I actually think he might be one of the guys at the end of the season um, from a head coaching perspective who gets some consideration for a bigger job. Uh, you know, the, the record at Eastern Michigan is not good. But that's a very difficult job, and the the success that he's had there, I think I would take him in a one-game scenario. All right, let's jump in here. First question for you, who is USC head coach one year from today? So, you know, I I think this is really interesting because, you know, Clay Hilton is only one year removed from winning the Pac-12 championship but on the flip side of things, you know, five and seven at USC, losing seasons don't happen very often at USC. They've only had two since 1992. So it, it sort of underscores the importance of this season and getting back on track for Clay Helton. I, I like what he did with the coaching staff. There's no question that USC has good players, but talent development has certainly been an issue. So I'm going to say that Clay Helton is not there next season and Dino Babers is the head coach at USC. We think alike. I completely agree. I think that I think that USC will pay. I know it was a rumor. We don't have the specific numbers, but I think last year it was reported. I'm not sure if it was Bruce Feldman or whoever. Uh, they report they think it's around $15 million buyout for Clay Helton last year. I'm guessing that would drop somewhere uh, in like that, that 10, 11, 12 range. I think they pay the buyout. I don't think they win more than seven or eight games this year, and I think he probably needs to win nine or ten uh, to keep that job in a pretty mediocre uh, or downright bad Pac-12. And I also have Dino Babers. I, I just don't buy I, – I, he said all the right things at Syracuse to make fans think that he could be there long term. I just don't buy that Syracuse is his final destination. I mean, this is a guy who's jumped around his entire career. Anytime there – I'm not going to say anytime because I haven't seen every single offer he's ever had, but it's a guy that jumped at the bigger job several times. I mean, he has something like 17 or 18 stops over the last 30 years of coaching. And, you know, Stephen, let's be honest. I think you probably agree with me here that Syracuse isn't a great job. I don't know if it's necessarily a bad job and then the facilities are getting better and I know all that, but it's not a great job. It's in a tough recruiting area, not a ton of talent coming uh, from there. So I'm going to say Dino Babers. Let's go to the next one. Who is a week one upset pick for you? Do you have one in week one? You know, I I looked through the schedule and I had a hard time coming up with one that I really liked. So I know, admittedly, I know I'm going to be very wrong on this question because there will be some upsets. You know, I, I think looking at the week zero game, I am intrigued by Hawaii hosting Arizona. Hawaii at home with that offense, Arizona's defense has had its issues in recent years. That's one that I've got circled as as a potential upset. But in week one, um, you know, there are some interesting games. You know, Utah State, Jordan Love and that high-powered Utah State offense going to play Wake Forest. I think Wake Forest is a is a bit of a sleeper in, in the ACC, but you know, a lot of question marks last season on defense. They have two proven quarterbacks, but they lost Greg Dorch. So some turnover for Wake Forest. Um, Utah State almost beat Michigan State in the opener uh, last season. So that that's one to watch. You know, I also think, uh, you know, UCLA and Cincinnati is interesting because I think UCLA is going to be much better this season. Cincinnati 
big losses on the offensive and defensive lines. You just wonder maybe if things start to come together for UCLA. And I would also throw out James Madison at West Virginia. Uh, a lot of new faces for West Virginia, like the Neil Brown hire, but uh, this is a you know a, a really good James Madison uh, program going to Morgantown in week one. Yeah, I'm going to grab that third one you said. I think James Madison goes into Morgantown and beats West Virginia. I'd feel even better about this if Mike Houston was still there and some of the players that, that James Madison lost, but I still feel really good about it. I mean, I know that they're both undergoing a transition, and I agree with what you just said. I, I like the Neil Brown hire, uh, but I do think it's going to take a little bit of time. I mean, we've seen coaches over the last few decades at West Virginia where, um, you know, they come in and, and it's it's a pretty smooth transition, but it still takes a little bit of time uh, to get hum in there. I know that recruiting at West Virginia is kind of a little bit of a different animal. You know, I think that West Virginia is undergoing a bigger transition uh, than James Madison is going away from Mike Houston. It will t- uh, take some time to, to get moving, but I think James Madison has almost just as much talent as West Virginia does, and I think they go into Morgantown week one uh, and get a win. Let's stay in uh, week one, uh, September-ish here. Now, what is going to be the biggest September overreaction in college? football you know i i wonder if you know when i mentioned ucla their their schedule is cincinnati san diego state oklahoma at washington state and at arizona uh in the first month of the season and you know that that's a really difficult stretch and and i think just in general whether it's ucla whether it's oregon if they lose to auburn there might be a little bit of an overreaction on the Pac-12. Now, now certainly, I, I think the Pac-12 is going to have a hard time producing a playoff team. But still, Oregon, Washington, Utah could all end up in the top 10 to 15. And UCLA, even with a slow start, uh, could climb their way to six or seven wins. So after a, a, you know, a not-so-good debut for Chip Kelly wouldn't surprise me if they got off to a slow start this year combined with some of the kind of you know the angst about a a low recruiting class maybe there are some question marks about Chip Kelly one other thing i would i would circle is LSU's offense we are going to get a good test of where LSU is in week 2 against Texas and there's a lot of talk about how LSU is going to change its offense spread tempo you know, this has been kind of rumored the last couple of off seasons that the offense is going to be better. And I know they're going to play Texas, but some of those other games the first month of the season are pretty favorable. I don't know that we will get the best um, gauge of where LSU is offensively until they hit SEC play. Especially going and playing Texas with with a veteran coordinator like Todd Orlando, who's been there. I think it would be a little bit different deal if they were going into Texas and with a new transition, even like an Alex Grinch situation. Alex Grinch is by you know he's extremely proven defensive coordinator. He's shown what he can do with with different personnel. But even if there was some type of transition going on at Texas, but with a veteran coordinator Todd Orlando who knows his guys, they have the system in place. Um, yeah, I think that could be a really nice test so I had said James Madison over West Virginia for my week one upset pick I'm going to stay in the big 12 for an overreaction I'm going to say that Kansas State Chris Kleiman I'm going to say they struggle early on offense they lose some 
like 13 to 7, like 13 to 10 type of games and we hear a lot of well that you know they couldn't replace Bill Snyder before the Ron Prince thing didn't work. I think this is way different. Ron Prince was a bad hire at the time. It proved to be a bad hire during the tenure, and he looks even worse now 10 years later. I love the Chris Kleiman hire. I think he'll be just fine, but I think that we could see a little bit of a rocky start uh, in Manhattan, kind of like what we'll see up in West Virginia with Neil Brown. Let's go over to the ACC. What is Florida State's record after three games? They have Boise State neutral site, Louisiana Monroe at home, and then at Virginia. What's the record after those three games? I like Florida State to be 2-1. and one. I think they beat Boise State, they beat ULM, and they lose to Virginia. Yeah, I know Florida State's got some question marks. Offensive line, the defense needs to play a little bit better. But there's still a lot of good players in the program. And, and I think the combination of Kendall Bryles and James Blackman uh, stepping into offensive coordinator in the quarterback roles, I think this offense will be much better. And, and I think we'll, we've seen Willie Taggart's teams – uh, and at his the second year at his tenures are generally better. So I think a lot of things went wrong. I think Florida State's much better this season, and they get to two and one in those first three games. I agree. I think they beat Louisiana Monroe probably pretty comfortably, but I'm going to say they're one and two. I think they're going to lose that Boise game. I love what Boise uh, will be doing on defense. I mean, Curtis Weaver, uh, David Moa is back there. Avery Williams is back there. Uh, DeAndre Pierce. You know, tons of guys. I love their secondary. I think it could be. An ugly game, kind of like we saw in that Virginia Tech opener last year. So I'll say they're one and two. Uh, they beat Louisiana Monroe. They lose to Virginia. I think Virginia is just a better team. I think they have a better quarterback. I think they're. I think they're just a more balanced team. When I look at Virginia's depth chart, um, I have a hard time seeing holes there, whereas I have a very easy time seeing holes on Florida State's two D. I just think they're a better team. Um, they have similar of that higher end talent. I think that both teams, uh, you know, like Bryce Hall, for example, both teams have that type of talent at the top. There's not a ton of it, but both teams have a little bit of elite talent. Uh, Virginia just has the better depth. They have the better balance right now. You had talked a little bit about Cincinnati with that uh, UCLA game. You had talked about Utah State. So which group of five team do you think has the best chance at the playoff this year? I think it's either the American or the Mountain West champion. So if that's the case, I'm going to say UCF, from the American in Boise State, from the Mountain uh, Mountain West, those are the the two teams I think will win. Um, you know, I, I do think it is interesting if there is a, a, a not necessarily a surprise, but a different conference champion. You know, Cincinnati gets Ohio State, Houston, Memphis, um, Marshall, and South Florida on the road, and if if they could somehow put an undefeated record through that schedule, plus beating UCF, I mean, that's a pretty compelling resume, um, provided that they can work their way into the top five to six, and, and it'll be tough. But, you know, I think I would have to default to just UCF and, and, and Boise State as the, the two most likely uh, teams from the group of five. I'll go with Cincinnati and kind of touching on what you just said. They are my highest-ranked G5 team going into the season. And and speaking of that Ohio State game, I don't think they're going to win that game. I think that would be a really, really nice upset for them, really nice upset for college football. But if they do, you know, they have some other nice games on the schedule. They're not going to be huge resume-building games. But if they were to pull an upset uh, up in Columbus and then pick up some other nice wins, Memphis, uh, UCF, I think there's at least a little bit of a resume. You know, I, I like... 
Cincinnati's playoff chances more than anyone else, even though it's still extremely tiny. Um, but if I were to answer this question, I think it is Cincinnati. Which team is more likely to win 10 regular season games? I got three of them for you here. Missouri, Nebraska, or Iowa State? You know, kind of the the interesting thing is all three of these teams are actually pretty realistic to get to 10 wins. Um, you know, you, you may not say that in most years, but I, I really like what Matt Campbell is doing at Iowa State. But I think my answer here is Nebraska. The road schedule is Colorado, Illinois, Minnesota, Purdue, and Maryland. Very manageable. They do not play Penn State, Michigan, or Michigan State in crossover play. And I think you could make the case that Iowa might be the best team on paper in the division. But that schedule for Nebraska is really favorable. Not to mention, they were much better in the second half of the season, 4-2 and two in their last six games. So I think Nebraska is, the, is my most likely candidate to get there. I am curious about Missouri just because of the bowl ban. How does that affect this team one way or the other? Do they, are they get cleared to play in the bowl game during the season? If they're not, you know, do we see this team um, maybe tail off at the end of the year? It'll be interesting to see. Which team do you think is the best of those three? I know, so you think Nebraska has the best chance, and you, like you said, you think that all three could hit 10 wins, but which is the best team of those three right now? I would probably, right now, I think I would go with Iowa State. Um, I, I, I really like that Iowa State defense. Certainly, they do have some holes to fill at cornerback, but the front seven is, is you know, is, might be the best in the Big 12 right now. Um, you know, by the end of the year, I think is a pretty good chance it's Nebraska, with Adrian Martinez getting better, Nebraska can get better on defense. I think they enter the season in a better spot. Um, I think Nebraska at the end of the year is probably the best team out of the bunch. I think Iowa State's probably the best team of the three for me, but I still think it's going to be hard to hit uh, 10 regular season wins. I, I, if it included the bowl game, I would probably say they hit 10, but I'm kind of sitting right at 9 for Iowa State, even though I know that those second-tier teams, in my opinion, behind, I think Oklahoma, Texas, and Iowa State are the top three teams in the Big 12, and I think those second-tier teams, the, the TCUs, the, the Baylors, the Oklahoma States, I think they're a little bit of a step behind where they've been in the past, and even though those teams aren't good, I'm not sure if they're going to win every single one one of those and so in order for for Iowa State to hit 10 they probably have to split with Oklahoma and Texas and if that happens they have a great shot at the Big 12 championship obviously but even if they split with them I have a hard time seeing them winning kind of all those toss-up games so I'm going to say I like Missouri the best to hit 10 I think at Georgia is probably an auto loss but that's the only auto loss on their schedule I think they probably lose to Florida at home but it could be a closer game than some expect maybe uh, they're at Kentucky maybe drop at Kentucky or maybe some South Carolina like at home but there's just not a whole lot of games I mean they're going to roll through non-conference play I think West Virginia might give them a little bit of a test um, in Columbia but I think Missouri rolls through uh, non-conference play I feel really good about them you know with the the floor for them being for me I think the floor for Missouri is kind of like at eight wins and all they need to do is really take care of business you know win at Kentucky be South Carolina at home and I agree I'm really curious how this bowl band does it kind of go in the favor of they are so pissed off they want to prove that they're this 11 and one team that can beat Florida at home and they could have contended for the SEC East and they could have contended for a playoff berth I don't think they're a playoff caliber team uh, but yeah I am curious if it's that way or or if um, you know they, they drop a game or two early and they become frustrated and, and there's not a whole lot to play for. So I'll say Missouri uh, is the best chance to win 10, even though I think Iowa State's probably the best team out of those three. What, what, do, you th- what, do, you, what do you think about Nebraska? 
I have a hard time seeing how they're going to improve that much after last year. And, and I understand, I kind of see them in Minnesota the same way. I, I'm very high on Minnesota. I'm, I'm high on Nebraska, but I have a hard time seeing how they're going to improve both teams, how they're going to improve after how poorly they started. And I understand they, they both finished strong, but I, I have a hard time looking at Minnesota's defense, their interior defensive line, and saying they're going to be great and I have a hard time doing the same thing for Nebraska. I'm worried about their defensive playmakers. They can make enough plays late in the game. And I know they're not going to be facing these high-octane offenses, but I can't get those first what is six to seven games out of my head, can you? Yeah, I think my my thing with Nebraska is the combination of Scott Frost and Adrian Martinez can make up for a lot of um, other concerns. And you know, you start adding playmakers like you know Robinson, the freshman at receiver, um, Dedrick Mills, the, the the JUCO running back. I, I just think that Scott Frost is a type of coach, much like Jeff Brom is at, at Purdue, that can elevate this team two maybe one or two wins a year we don't expect and you know they were like I said they were four and two in those last six games and you know the two losses were to you know Iowa and Ohio State and they were you know close to winning both of those games so I think maybe the the anti the the argument against Nebraska is that the Big Ten West is just everyone's so close together that you know getting to 10 wins could be difficult whereas Missouri um, the path is is significantly more favorable, especially because they could be undefeated going into that Georgia game. Are you picking uh, Nebraska to come out of the Big Ten West then? I am. Yeah, I, I like Nebraska to win the West largely because of the schedule. Um, I think Iowa on paper is the best team, but their schedule is more difficult than I and then than Nebraska. So that's why I like Nebraska. Is that an easy call for you? Or I guess what's the margin? You know, you said Iowa you think is the best team on paper. But what's the margin between, you know, whether that's Iowa or, you know, we could throw basically everybody but Illinois in there. What's the margin between Nebraska and everybody else? It's a good question. You know, I, I think when I when I look at Nebraska's schedule, I think our, our magazine had them at nine and three. So that probably means, you know, what, six and three in conference play. And and, and I think, you know, Iowa will be right there in that range, too. I, I think the way we kind of broke down the Big Ten West was that season finale game being in Lincoln made decide the winner of the West Division. So that's that's one of the reasons why I went with Nebraska schedule kind of timing on the home game with Iowa. I don't think Wisconsin is too far behind. I think all any would not shock me, as you said, if any of those uh, six teams won the division. I do think Purdue has a lot of questions. You know, the offensive line, they have to replace David Blau at quarterback. Elijah Sindelar's played a lot. But there's some question marks for that Purdue team. So I, I've got them sixth. And, you know, I've got Minnesota at five and Northwestern at four. I think there might be a gap between those top three and the next kind of tier of teams in the Big Ten West. Okay, last thing. I got a Heisman question, but last thing on uh, Nebraska and the Big Ten West. You said that the, the your magazine picked them uh, nine and three. Those would be about six and three in the conference, you know, maybe seven and two or whatever. Does that mean you think that Nebraska beats Ohio State at home? I think that's in week like week five, maybe week four, or week five. Do you think that Nebraska wins that game? Tempted to pick the upset, but I would probably pick Ohio State right now to win that game. Let's talk Heisman. Who is a deep dark horse Heisman contender for you? I have to say, I, I sort of, I guess I'm I'm one of the few people, or, or maybe there's more of us out there that like defensive players getting uh, consideration for the Heisman Trophy. 
So one guy that I've kind of spotlighted is Grant Delpit from LSU. Um, you know, his versatility, we've seen it in the NFL, we've seen it in college. Having someone that can be kind of a, you know, a safety linebacker, pass rusher is so important to the defense. And, you know, I think it's going to be a long shot for him to win. But if he's the, the maybe the best defensive player in college football at the end of the year, maybe he gets a little bit of, uh, of you know, attention for the award. I thought at one point Adrian Martinez was going to be a Heisman sleeper. I think the odds have almost moved uh, too far in that direction. It seems like he's one of the top, you know, six or seven candidates. So I, I think looking beyond that for some potential deep sleepers, you know, we mentioned Virginia. Bryce Perkins kind of fits the mold of someone who could just have a big time statistical season for a team that should be pretty good. And he was very good last season in his first season at Virginia. I think he can only get better. So I would look at Bryce Perkins and Tyler Huntley of Utah as kind of two quarterbacks, dual threat um, guys who are only going to get better this season, who could just have that huge statistical year that puts them in the conversation. I just want to see Tyler Huntley healthy. I talked to uh, Troy Taylor. Yeah, Troy Taylor was there for a couple of years uh, now at Sacramento State. But I, I talked to him a couple of times over the last few years about Tyler Huntley, and he, you know, he kept saying that he he just wants to see Tyler healthy. And I have no emotional uh, or financial investment in Utah, but I, I just really want to see uh, Tyler Huntley healthy. So I had I had written down Bryce Perkins, but since you kind of already touched on him, let's stay with a team that's kind of in a, in a similar situation. I'm going to say Tommy DeVito at Syracuse. I think he's a guy that's going to put up pretty big numbers in that offense. He's going to have a billion pass attempts. I really like his fit uh, with Dino Babers, the former four-star recruit taking over for Eric Dungeon. I think it'll take a little bit of time for that name recognition, but they get Clemson early, and I know that the Clemson defense is transitioning a little bit, so if you know if they can get Clemson before that Clemson defense really locks down with uh, what Brent Venables does every single season, I think Tommy DeVito could have a really nice game there, and even if Syracuse doesn't win that game, I feel like that could be a really early statement. It's so hard for for some of these guys that I mean, you mentioned like Adrian Martinez. Uh, you know, Jalen Hurts is obviously going to be up there every single season, but it's really hard for some of these guys that are outside of you know the, the odds makers top ten, top twenty to to make an early statement and really get onto that list early enough uh, for these lazy voters to actually give them a shot. So I think Tommy DeVito has that type of shot early, um, and I, I just really like his fit. And I think that kind of what you said about Bryce Perkins of Virginia. I think that Syracuse will turn some heads this year. I know that they're not going to surprise people as much as they did last year, going from four to ten. But I think they could have another ten win season. You know, maybe even get to 11 uh, with or without that Clemson game. So I'm going to say Tommy DeVito. Let's go back to the coaches. I want to ask you kind of the same question as USC. Where is Seth Luttrell employed one year from today? You know, I, I think he's going to be at North Texas still. I, I my, my reasoning is when I, I looked at the potential job openings, I had a hard time finding one that he could that he would leave for. Um, you know, he's in a pretty good situation. North Texas is a pretty good job in that conference. And, you know, next year Mason Fine will depart, but still, that North Texas should still be a factor there. So I, I just think with the Big Twelve not having any potential openings, you, you look at the list like USC, maybe Auburn, Illinois, Rutgers, you know, Rutgers, Ole Miss. I mean. I don't know that he would jump at any of those jobs. And so I'm going to say that he's still at North Texas this time next year. 
know, I tweeted the other day, it's funny they mentioned the Big 12, I tweeted you know, last week or a couple weeks ago, that I think it's almost impossible to see an opening come up in the Big 12. All the first-year coaches aren't going to be gone, and they have so many. I mean, what, what percentage would you put at that there's going to be an opening in the Big 12? It's got to be less than, you know, 5%, barring some sort of off-the-field issue or if, you know, somebody finally pries Mike Gundy away and gives him a billion dollars. I think it's like 1% or 2% that there's an opening next year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's either someone like Matt Campbell or maybe Matt Rule getting a job in the NFL. Um, you know, Matt Campbell's name has come up for places like Notre Dame um, and, and certainly I think would have come up at Ohio State had they had a normal uh, process there at, at the end of the season. But I, I agree with you. I mean, we, when we did our Big 12 predictions, we, we put a coach on the hot seat in every league. And I couldn't find one for, for the Big 12. So I, I don't see a lot of openings there or, or at all next season. I think the same 10 coaches will be there. So, yeah, he does feel like a good fit in the Big 12, but because I don't see any type of situation there, I mean, if Texas Tech were to open up for whatever reason, I think he could be a candidate there. But you did mention Ole Miss. So I'm going to say Ole Miss, you know, with the change in leadership there, uh, with Ross Bork leaving for A&M, small buyout for Matt Luke. He kind of has one of those contracts with the interim coach, gets a small buyout. They're not really sure, kind of playing a wait and see. And with the change in leadership, I think Ole Miss could make a move if they don't do well this year, and I just don't see them doing that well. I mean, they still have talent like they kind of do almost every single season. They're going to have a little bit of elite talent. I worry about their depth on both sides of the ball. I don't see them getting to more than six or seven wins, best case scenario. So I think that Ole Miss is going to see an opportunity to hire a young head coach. I know he hasn't coached in Mississippi specifically, but he is still a young head coach, power five experience. He's recruited the Southeast. He did that when he was uh, at, at North Carolina a little bit. He can recruit into Texas. He's proven that he can identify those kind of lower tier players that come into a program like North Texas. So I'm going to say Ole Miss. I think it, you know it's it's a little bit of a leap because I think there is a great chance in Seth Luttrell is still at North Texas. Uh, but let's have a little fun. Now. I will I will say Ole Miss. Got a few more coaching ones for you. Who will prove to be the best coordinator hire? And you can use whatever you want from this. We can sit here and say a year from now, I'll ask you the same question and say, looking back a year ago, who was the best coordinator hire? Or you can say 10 years down the road, we'll look back and say, who was the best coordinator hire of 2019? So who will prove to be that best hire of this offseason? You know, I, I like Alex Grinch from um, Oklahoma, defensive coordinator. There's no question that Lincoln Riley can put together high-powered offenses. But Oklahoma has to get the defensive side of the ball figured out. And Alex Grinch has experience working under a coach, you know, who who's, you know, very offensive minded in Mike Leach. So I, I think his experience working uh, under Leach at Washington State and going to Oklahoma now where, you know, he said all offseason, the objective of the defense is just to get the ball back for the offense and you know Oklahoma defensively no question uh, you know question marks all across the board this offseason but I do think this defense will get a little bit better over this this season and then into 2000 uh, 2020 and 2021 uh, I, I will point out uh, offensively I, I really like Dan Enos at Miami Kendall Bryles at Florida State you mentioned Ole Miss. I think Rich Rodriguez is a fascinating hire at offensive coordinator. So just a few to watch, but I think Alex Grinch will have the most impact this year and long-term at Oklahoma. I agree. I think Alex Grinch was the best 
hire of the offseason. I mean, I don't know if you want to put him as one of the best hires of any head coach or, or, or coordinator or any assistant, but I think he was the best coordinator assistant hire of the offseason. But since you already kind of touched them a lot, I think that someone like Scotty Hazleton at Kansas State or Sean Gleason at Oklahoma State, and we're talking a lot of Big 12 and I'm trying to get out of the Big 12, but I think Scotty Hazleton was just a phenomenal hire. He feels like a guy that could be at Kansas State for a really long time and really build up that defense because Kansas State, they're never going to get those elite athletes. And when Hazleton was at Wyoming, they ended up producing some elite talent. But when all those guys, Winger and all those other guys came in there, it wasn't elite talent. Um, but he put together one of the probably top 25, 30 defenses in the country there for, for a stretch of maybe 18 to 20 games over the last year and a half before he jumped to Kansas State. So I, I think I would I would put Hazleton above like a Sean Gleason type just because I think that Hazleton can be there for a long time. He feels like a type of guy that will try to get um, – group of five teams will try to pry away from uh, for a head coaching spot. But I think a lot of people are overlooking Scotty Hazleton. Uh, really, really like that hire. Like I said, a couple of more – coaching things I want to ask you when will Cliff Kingsbury be back in college football and where will it be or if you don't think he's going to be back at all what do you think I have a little bit of a curveball answer for you. I actually think he's going to stay in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. Um you know I think I think Cliff Kingsbury could be a good head coach at the college level in the right situation and you know we we we've seen that he can put together high-scoring offenses. He can develop quarterbacks. But putting together defense, whether it had something to do with, you know, Texas Tech had just cycled through so many defensive coordinators, they missed in recruiting, whatever it was, I I think he he will carve out a nice kind of role in the NFL as an offensive coordinator. I think he is a a very sharp X's and O's coach, and I think he will excel in the role of developing offenses and quarterbacks at the next level, especially since he can spend a little bit more time just focusing strictly uh, on the offense. So I, I will go offensive coordinator uh, in the NFL for the at least the, the near future for Cliff Kingsbury. Yeah, I have the same kind of curveball type of answer. I think that I think a lot of the criticism of Cliff Kingsbury at Texas Tech was warranted, but I also think a lot of it was unwarranted. I mean, he was an offensive guy, um, and he produced elite offenses at Texas Tech almost every single season. Yes, though, he does deserve criticism. Um, he is you know, part of the, the recruiting efforts for the right defensive players. He is assembling the defensive staff. It is ultimately his responsibility. And I think being in the NFL now, he can focus more just on the player development. I know he'll do a little bit of talent and evaluation and stuff like that. But I think that because he, he doesn't have to focus that much, and I think he's, he has found some experienced guys to work on defense, and he will continue to find that. I don't know how long he's going to be in Arizona for. Um, I think, he, you know, he could last six or seven years, or he could last, three or four years. I think that they've put in a foundation to invest in him. Um, if, if he were to leave, I think that he goes back to being like a power five offensive coordinator, you know, like the old, uh, excuse me, the USC job he had or like an old miss. I have a really hard time seeing him going back to being like, like a group of five head coach. For example, you said you think he can thrive in the, in the right situation. I don't know what that is. I mean, I think the easy answer is saying, like, he would go to a Houston or, like, an SMU or a North Texas, like, that type of job. I just don't see him doing that unless he completely flops in the NFL. A lot of what you said, I think that he's just in the right spot. He's kind of carved out a niche. Um, so I think he does stay in the NFL for, for quite a while. So I had uh, Todd Graham on the show maybe a month or two ago, and he made it 
very, very clear that he wants to be a head coach, um, you know, come this winter after this, as this uh, head coaching cycle goes through. He thought about going back last year. He said he's glad he didn't accept a couple of offers. He wouldn't say uh, what those were for, so we can speculate on that. So I want to ask you, do you think Todd Graham will actually be an FBS head coach in 2020? And if so, where is that going to be? I think he will. Uh, there, there are three jobs that came to mind uh, for Todd Graham. You know, Tulsa, where he was before, um, UTSA, if Frank Wilson doesn't work out. And the one that I think is really interesting is New Mexico. The, Bob Davies definitely on the hot seat, probably needs to get to a bowl game to, to save his job. I, I think we've seen Todd Graham throughout his career, whether it's at Rice, whether it's at Tulsa, you know, he can maximize a roster. The fact that he took Rice to a bowl game and then had a, you know, ex, you know some extended success at Tulsa, I think speaks well to his coaching ability um, and certainly did not have a bad run at Arizona State. So I, I think Todd Graham's a pretty good coach. And I think a place like New Mexico, where you can recruit Texas, you have to recruit the JUCO level. I think that would be a good fit for him. Um, it would certainly be a tough division going against Boise State and Utah State, but I think New Mexico would be a good fit for Todd Graham with uh, UTSA and Tulsa kind of in that next tier. It does feel like New Mexico is kind of just waiting to fire Bob Davy. It's just going to happen. I know they have major financial issues at that university and athletic department, uh, fundraising, they had a couple scandals and all that. So it feels like kind of they're waiting for that buyout uh, to just go down a little bit into those mid-six figures. Um, you know, Todd Graham is only 54 years old. That's why I think it, this makes it a lot of options um, for him that you could see him fit. But then like we talked about for the Big 12 and Seth Luttrell, we could both see him going to a Big 12 type of job. But if a Big 12 job isn't open, you can't go to a Big 12 job. So I'm going to say uh, Todd Graham does replace Seth Luttrell at North Texas. I mean, he, he said that he thinks he fits the best uh, in that region or in the Southwest. So, you know, New Mexico uh, would make a lot of sense. You mentioned Tulsa. I'm not sure if there's any sort of relationship issues there at Tulsa. So I don't know if that would make sense at all. But I think he does go back to Texas. Uh, he recruited there well when he was at, at Rice and Tulsa, found some uh, kind of that, that lower tier talent that would go to a, a group of five program. So I think that Todd Graham, I do think he is back as a head coach in 2020. If I had to put uh, my house on it, I would say that he goes to North Texas. Sticking with the group of five, which group of five team will shockingly enter New, uh, New Year's Six contention this season? I'm going to say Ohio. Um, you know, the, the MAC is kind of wide open. The Western Division, Western Michigan, Toledo, Northern Illinois, all, each of those teams have their, their own share of question marks. I think Ohio is pretty clearly the preseason favorite in the MAC. And now certainly Ohio also has its own set of preseason question marks with some uh, new faces needing to emerge at running back and, and at receiver. But, uh, you know, Frank Solich is just as a solid coach year in and year out. Um, Nathan Rourke, a quarterback I really like, you know, one of the better dual threat quarterbacks in college football, maybe one of the more underrated quarterbacks, too. But, you know, this is kind of just a strict schedule play. Because, you know, in the MAC, Ohio's games are all very winnable. Their non-conference schedule at Pitt, at Marshall, in Louisiana. If they can win those three and then, you know, go undefeated in the MAC, you know, it wouldn't, wouldn't shock me if Ohio starts to get some top 25 consideration. If they can run the table, much like Western Michigan did a couple years ago, then they will be in the conversation to be in the New Year's Six Bowl game. 
I'm going to go back to a team that, that you had mentioned going to Wake Forest in week one, Utah State. I mean, you got some big-time talent there. I mean, this isn't just group of five talent. This is legitimately high-end power five talent. Jordan Love, David Woodward, one of the best defenders in the country, DJ Williams uh, at corner. Selfishly, uh, I really wish that Matt Wells would have stayed. Um, I think that that would have made this a really interesting season for Utah State, and they probably would have been more on the national radar. But because he left and because he took so much of his staff with him, I think that the transition period will be a little bit tricky. But I'm kind of banking on them to have figured this out. I like um, the staff that Gary Anderson has done there. I think it's going to keep a lot of their veterans, Love, Woodward, Williams, and others, kind of in the right spots for a nice run. And uh, Utah State's getting a little bit more national love than in Ohio, for example. Uh, but I'm going to say that Utah State has a really nice season, flirts with uh, 10, 11 wins, and kind of shoves himself uh, into contention there. Let's talk about transfers here. Which transfer quarterback is going to have the best season? I like Jalen Hurts. You know, it's it, you know, there's so many good quarterbacks transferring this season. Kelly Bryant, um, Justin Fields, but I think it's Jalen Hurts. And 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 really, we should say there is no pressure at all on Jalen Hurts. You know, the fact that he is replacing two quarterbacks who led their teams to the Big 12 title, won the Heisman Trophy, and went number one no, number one overall in the NFL draft. So. Um, no pressure, Jalen Hurts. It's 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 going to be easy stepping in there. But in, in all seriousness, it, it you know Oklahoma high powered offense, skill talent, Lincoln Riley being being the head coach there. I think he's going to have a huge statistical season. I, I will say just outside of quarterbacks, if you're looking for some transfers who can make an impact, I think Juwan Johnson, the receiver at Oregon, uh, transferring from Penn State, and Jonathan Greenard the linebacker slash defensive end from Louisville transferring to Florida. Those would be two positional players to watch. But overall, Jalen Hurts, I think, is the biggest impact transfer this season. Also agree, Jalen Hurts, like I mentioned earlier, I think he's going to be the Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. We, we've talked a little bit about him, so we'll just we'll just move on here. I kind of I asked you before, you know, which coordinator will prove to be the best hire. Let's kind of stick in that, and I'm going to ask you which coach, it can be an assistant or a head coach, is going to explode onto the national radar this season. I have two names that I like. I think Joe Brady from LSU is a name to watch. All, all off season, uh, you know, the fact that he was brought in to help speed up LSU's tempo, bring more of a spread approach to LSU. You know, he, he comes from the Saints. And he also worked for Joe Moorhead in the past, too. So he's got a great resume. There is a lot of hype at at LSU about this hire. And it'll be interesting to see what impact he has on LSU's offense. If LSU's offense takes off, he's going to be a guy whose stock takes off uh, during the season. So I, I like Joe Brady. I would also keep an eye on Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator at Alabama. Uh, he took over play calling late last season, but he's also been a defensive coordinator at UTSA. And, you know, his his uh, you know, track record there was very good. There's a lot of talent, of course, at Alabama. Their secondary should be better. I think he's the next kind of uh, star assistant at Alabama. And I think he helps get that defense back to being dominant once again this year. 
My prediction is somebody that I had mentioned um, in that Scotty Hazleton answer. I think it's Sean Gleason, Oklahoma State offensive coordinator. And and this was a a hire that I think surprised a lot of people coming from Princeton. Um, But the numbers speak for themselves. And I think what's really going to surprise people, I don't know how good Oklahoma State is going to be this season. I don't know if they're going to be a 6-6 and team. And it seems like a safe bet to say they're going to win eight, you know, eight, nine games because they do every single season under Mike Gundy. But I I think that he's going to explode onto the national radar because of how the Oklahoma State offense is going to play. I think if you go back and look at some of those Princeton teams, I did quite a bit because I did not know that much about Sean Gleason. I was really curious. that Those Princeton offenses just smacked the shit out of people. They would smack them in the mouth, and it was extremely physical offense. And with that, you usually don't see... I'm not saying that physical offensive also can't be um, innovative, creative, uh, but with that Princeton offense, you saw a little bit of both. So I think it's going to be the type of unit. I know we talk so much about defensive physicality, but I think on offense, you're going to see Oklahoma State's offense um, still kind of run around people. I mean, Tylen Wallace is going to have a free-for-all against some of those those Big Ten uh, secondaries, but I think what they're going to show you a lot is improved physicality, and they're going to they're going to run over some people a little bit. This question, I think, is was the hardest one for me, and I'm curious to to get your take on it. Who's a 10 win team from 2018 who's going to miss a bowl game in 2019? It does happen every single season, so that's why it, it shouldn't be that hard of a question. Um, but 25 teams last year won 10 games from my count. Which of those 25 teams will miss a bowl game this season? I have two candidates. Uh, I, I think at the group of five level, Buffalo uh, finished 10 and four last season, won the MAC East. Um, a, a lot of personnel losses. It's Tyree Jackson at quarterback, uh, KJ Osborne, uh, one of their receivers, transferred to Miami. They already lost Anthony Johnson and uh, Charlie Jones transferred. So three of their better receivers uh, have left, and also their starting tight end transferred to to Maryland. I think in the MAC, it's it's such a volatile league that they may be able to overcome those losses to get back to seven and five. But it also wouldn't surprise me if they finished six and six and missed on a bowl game this year. I do like Lance uh, Leopold. I think he's he's you know we mentioned Sean Gleason and Pete Golding. I think he's a name that could come up for openings potentially at at Rutgers or Illinois. But there's a lot of personnel losses for Buffalo. I think on the Power Five level, I think Kentucky, you know, they went ten and three last season. Probably a little fortunate to to beat Missouri, and you know they they're losing Benny Snell, they're losing Josh Allen. They have to be able to throw the ball better this year. They need more out of Terry Wilson. So I I think Kentucky's going to be kind of in that seven and five, six and six range. But it also wouldn't shock me that in the SEC East, if Tennessee gets better, um, South Carolina finally beats Kentucky, then maybe Kentucky slips back to six and six or, or five and seven. Now, I, I think it's unlikely, but they might be one candidate that goes from 10 to, to six wins this year. I also have Buffalo, and because you already touched on them, we won't spend too much time talking about it. But if I had a bet on a team uh, that won 10 that will miss a bowl game this year, I also do think it's Buffalo. They get to like a 6-6, six and six, but they don't uh, make a bowl game. Who is the most underrated team for you? You know, we've talked a little bit about them. I, I think Iowa State might be underrated. Uh, you know, like the defense, the front seven is, you know, one of the best, if not the best front seven in the Big 12 this season. Brock Purdy only getting better. 
I, I have confidence that Matt Campbell will fill in the spots at receiver and running back to get enough production this season. You know, in, in the Athlon top 25, which is a projection to the end of the season, we have Iowa State ranked. That is the first time in Athlon sports history um, over 50 years that we're projecting Iowa State to finish in the top 25. So pretty, I think pretty good credit to to what Matt Campbell is building there. There, um, you know, if looking, just going to throw out a couple teams. You know, I think Washington State. Mike Leach will find the answers at quarterback. Their defense has been getting better. I think Iowa might be a little bit underrated because of the schedule. Uh, they, they Iowa might be a team at the end of the year. We look down and say they're eight and four or nine and three but they may be a little bit better than their ranking would indicate just because of their, the difficult crossovers and their schedule on the road this year. Iowa State's an interesting one because it's not really a matter of them not getting – because they are getting national buzz. I mean, they're not getting the level that like a Nebraska is, for example, but Iowa State is getting national buzz. I just am not sure it's big enough. So I would agree with that, but I'm going to say Cincinnati, and I think that you guys had them ranked 39, uh, if I'm correct, and that was either third or fourth among group of five teams. I said earlier I think they're the best group of five team, and I have them uh, ranked accordingly. I have number 19. I love the talent infusion uh, that Luke Fickle has brought to Cincinnati. I mean, they've been recruiting their tails off. There is concern. Uh, you'd probably agree with this offensive line, defensive line, probably middle of the road there in the American right now. But I think there is enough talent there to where they could be one of the, like the two or three best units uh, of both sides of the ball up front come the end of the season. Not other many other holes there. Um, you know, I like what they have at running back at a ton of depth. I like what they have young talent or receiver. I mean, there's young talent everywhere uh, across the both sides of the ball. Linebacker, uh, defensive back, a lot of depth there. So I think that Cincinnati is getting more credit because I think that more people are seeing what type of recruiting uh, Luke Fickle is doing. So I'm going to say Cincinnati right now is the most underrated team. Which conference, uh, or, or I guess the conference in which the best team does not win the conference title? This is tough because, you know, I, I look back at last year's uh, conference championship games, and, and the one that I could come up with was Buffalo losing to Northern Illinois. And that Buffalo, I thought Buffalo was just a better team. They lost to Northern Illinois in the conference championship game, you know, and, and it wouldn't shock me maybe if that happens again in the MAC this year that Ohio is is just the best team during the year, but at the end of the season, Toledo or Western Michigan gets it together and wins the MAC championship game. So I would circle the MAC. the The other one that stood out to me was the SEC, only because I think Alabama is the best team. But Georgia has had Alabama on the ropes the last two years, including SEC, the last year's SEC championship game. So wouldn't be totally shocked if Georgia beat Alabama in the SEC championship game and, and maybe they rematched in the playoff for the national championship um, just because Kirby Smart has this team right on the cusp of beating Alabama. They just haven't been able to close that door just yet. I have a little bit of type of answer. I'm going to go out west and say the Pac-12, but it's just because I don't know who the best team is out there. I have the top three, so I'm at my 1 through 130 rankings. I have uh, the, the top Pac-12 team is Washington at 14, but then I have Oregon at 15 and Utah at 16. Washington State's not too far behind at 25, and then Stanford's at uh, number 27. So we have, what, five teams there in a in a 14-team uh 
area. And like I said, Washington, Oregon, Utah, back to back to back there. So I don't know who's going to win the Pac-12. I know it's kind of a cop-out answer, but I just don't know who the best team is out there. And I'm not convinced that the the best team is actually going to win the conference title. Let's go back to the Big Ten. The Michigan-Ohio State rivalry gets attention every single season, but because Michigan just can't beat Ohio State and after last year's uh, 62-point debacle, let me ask you straight up, do you think that Michigan will beat Ohio State this year? I do. You know, I went back and forth on this uh, before we did our magazine predictions. I think this was the toughest prediction that I had to make. And then we went into our prediction meeting and then I found out I wasn't the only one who wrestled with this. So I felt a little bit better. But I think there are some factors that favor Michigan. Urban Meyer is no longer on Ohio State sideline. I think Ryan Day long term is going to be fine at Ohio State. But, you know, Urban Meyer had that edge to him in rivalry games. And so I think Ohio State will miss him at some point this season. The game is also in Ann Arbor. And I think the fact that Michigan's going to have to listen to all offseason about how they lost that game. And, you know, I think Michigan was probably better than the final score in that game showed last year. Essentially, the gap between the two teams was not as wide as the final scoring in Columbus showed. So I think the fact that Michigan is kind of out for revenge, the game is at home. Um, there's no urban Meyer. And I think, you know, Michigan offensively, if the changes that Josh Gaddis are supposedly bringing to get more tempo, to get more speed on offense, then I think Michigan can take that next step and, and go from third in the big 10 in scoring to closer to number one. So I'm going to take yes on Michigan beating Ohio state, uh, this season. You know, it's hard to, to argue against either way. I think there's a great argument for yes, and there's a great ar- argument for no. I'm just going to say no. You mentioned Josh Gaddis. Um, I know that him and Mike's Lo- Mike Loxley have kind of been going back and forth over the last few days on who actually called the plays at Alabama and, and what type of offense uh, Josh Gaddis is actually capable of running up in Michigan. I think he could be a good hire, but I'm still taking a wait-and-see approach there. Um, you, you might ask me this question again in late September. My answer might be that, yes, Michigan will beat Ohio State. I think that Ohio State's still a more talented team, and even though Michigan's defense completely collapse and I agree that the score wasn't completely representative there were a lot of broken plays and other issues there but I still have a hard time overlooking all those defensive losses that Michigan had even after the 62 point game and Winovich is gone Gary's gone uh, Bush is gone and some other people so there just hasn't been enough for for me to say confidently that they can beat them I think they might be able to uh, but right now I'm going to say no I think we just have uh, two more questions here playoff related Uh, who's in your playoff field You know, I have a very boring uh, number one and number two for you. Number one, I've got Alabama. Number two, Clemson. Number three, Georgia. Taking Georgia to go undefeated in the regular season, lose to Alabama in the SEC championship game, finish 12-1, and and get to number three. At number four, I went with Michigan just because I think the winner of that Michigan Ohio State game gets that number four spot and I think the last two teams out uh, in that case Ohio State and Oklahoma five and six I think they just miss we have the exact same uh, top six but I have I have Alabama Clemson Georgia going one two three 
Um, and then I ended up putting Oklahoma in there. I'm very optimistic. We talked a lot about Alex Grinch. Alex Grinch. I'm really optimistic about that. I have absolutely no concerns about that offense. I know they're replacing so much of that offensive line that was either the best in the country last year or one of the two or three best offensive lines in the country last year. So I have Oklahoma in there. Um, and then I have both Michigan and Ohio State at 5-6. and six. I think what that's going to create a whole ton of controversy because I think going into that uh, that final game in Ann Arbor, I think a lot of people are going to assume that that game is for a playoff berth depending on what happens out uh, in the Big Ten West if you know the Big Ten West champ is actually in contention, if they actually have a chance to beat the East uh, champion in the Big Ten championship game, depending on what happens there. But I think a lot of people are going to go into that Michigan-Ohio State game thinking the winner uh, has a good chance at the, at the playoff. But I think those two teams finish 5-6, and six, uh, either Michigan 5, Michigan 6, whichever way. But kind of a boring answer, but I think the right answer right now is Alabama-Clemson, uh, Georgia, and Oklahoma. And the last one for you before we go here, who is in the national championship game and who's winning that game? I've got part five between Alabama and Clemson. Um, you know, looking at these two teams, I, I think – What's interesting about this, and in doing a lot of radio interviews this off season, um, you know, a lot of we we picked Alabama to win the national championship in the magazine, and I'm going to pick them as well. But I've, I found it interesting that all off season, the the question is, you know, much much like Michigan and Ohio State, the final score in last year's national championship game. Um, was probably a little skewed in the sense that Alabama was not as bad as the final score indicated. So, you know, all offseason, kind of the question that I've been asked on radio interviews is why Alabama over Clemson, knowing the final score of the game. And, you know, every year is different. And I think just Alabama revenge. I think Alabama's secondary will be better this season. Alabama's going to have to listen to all the, the final score of last year Nick Saban's going to get back to the process or, or whatever it is this offseason. And, and Alabama's offense should be explosive once again. Clemson has a much easier path to the playoff, certainly. Um, and there's no question that that offense is going to be great once again. I do wonder how much they will miss guys like Christian Wilkins, Dexter Lawrence, Austin Bryant, um, the guys at linebacker that were so good at leadership and production They've got talent, but it may take a little bit of time for that group to cycle through and get back to the level that the previous defensive line uh, was. So I like Alabama to beat Clemson uh, this year in the national championship game. Yeah, and just like the last question, and and I know that people think that these answers are boring, but I think it's just the right answer. I also have Alabama-Clemson. I also have Alabama uh, getting revenge. You touched on that defensive line. It's not just a matter of losing that production. You talked about the leadership, but those four guys did it for so long. And I know that Xavier Thomas uh, is an elite talent. He could prove to be even better than all four of those guys over the next couple of years. I mean, Isaiah Simmons is an absolute stud. I think he's probably one of the ten best defenders in college football. And I think that Clemson could absolutely beat them. It's kind of like the Michigan-Ohio state answer for me if you want to say clemson over alabama no problem with that if you want to say alabama over clemson uh no problem with that right now i have alabama clemson national championship game uh and i have alabama getting revenge all right let's call it that's steven lassen of athlon sports hey steven i uh, really appreciate the time uh what do we got about a week and a half here until the season kicks off uh arizona hawaii are you taking a uh, last one for you are you taking florida to take care of business against miami in week zero 
Yeah, I, I do like Florida. I think a big advantage for Florida in that game is the defensive line against Miami's offensive line. Just think Florida's defense will be too disruptive against uh, Miami's offense. So I like the Gators to win in week one. All right, Stephen, I'm sure we'll chat before the season, but if we don't, uh, enjoy the start of the season. You can find uh, all of Stephen's content on AthlonSports.com, in the Athlon Magazine. Pick up one of those. Uh, probably my favorite in the business. Hey, Stephen, I really appreciate the time. Uh, have a good rest of the week. Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it. I saw a friend today. It had been a while. And we forgot each other's names. But it didn't matter because deep inside the feeling still remained the same we talked of knowing one before you've met and how you feel more than you see and other worlds that lie in spaces